0: Welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio episode number 8, this is Chad McCaffrey, today in today's episode I sat down with Matthew Sardina. He's the founder of architect.org. Matthew's an expert in organizational development and design. I really dug into the topic of org structures and how you need to think about building your team as you scale your organization. I really think you guys will like this one. without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Matt. guess, Matt, just to kick it off, it's always nice to give our listeners a little bit of background yeah. um, on you know, your career, a little bit who you are, and how you came to where you are today.
1: Right on. I'm happy to do that. I've been in uh, organizational development for 13 or 14 years, and that's a big umbrella. It just captures a lot of the different things that happen anywhere from learning and development to change management to organizational design. And you know, when people ask me, how did you get into this business, I, I kind of feel like a bit of a geek because I get excited about things that most people don't get excited about. So I, I did a lot of soul searching and I thought back and, and it all started when I was six years old. And people say, what? I say, yeah. You know, the realization was, I knew I, knew I was six because my uh, brother's three years younger than me and my sister's six years younger than me. And she was a, she was a newborn and I'd been begging my parents for this little remote control car. And finally they gave it to me, I think it was either my birthday or Christmas and no more than five minutes after taking it out of the box and, and rolling it around the carpet I started taking it apart and I think one of the best decisions my parents ever made was not to stop me and uh, probably because my sixth sister was crying in the background or something like <laughs> that. I put it back together and there was parts left over and it still did all the same things it did out of the box. So that was my first introduction to productivity. It's basically getting the same outputs with fewer inputs. And I think that, for me, triggered this fascination just in how things work. And I know that's something that's a theme that's carried, carried on throughout my career. So the reason I got into architect, or the reason I started architect um, was really the realization that the way we design our organizations and the way we design interactions with people isn't working the way it could and there's a lot of opportunity there's a lot of so-called money left on the table so that's what that's what keeps me going that's what clients hire me for is to find find that effectiveness fund, find that untapped potential and in architects i spell it with a y i was
0: just gonna ask you that so like, <laughs> it's 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 a really interesting story, I think, even with the, the brand itself and how you all came right. up with that and what that is. So Maybe you can just break that down for, for everyone.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, uh, when I was in the learning and development space, my role, this was going back 13-ish years, my role was an experience architect. My, my job was to create learning experiences for um, managers and executives. It was, it was all adult learning. So it was really how do you design those interactions between people how you design the interactions between people and the content and, and the outcomes that you're trying to achieve in that learning experience. So that was that was part of it. Really the reason I chose architect as a name is because it's a great analogy when you think of architecture and the idea of building structures and systems and populating those structures and systems with people. You know, architects really think about what is the intended use, you know. What are the interactions? What are the functions that need to happen? So certainly there's some stickiness on the branding in that respect. The reason I spell it with a Y is really quite simple. It's because it's how we design our hierarchies. And the tagline I use is structure shapes behavior. And the Y stands for hierarchy because you cannot escape hierarchy. And there's a lot going on these days with, you know, very experimental ways to design companies. You know, you look at the networked organization, the social organization, holacracy, the list goes on and on. And they're all very well intended. The reality is, is is a natural system of order. There's hierarchy in the physical sciences, in the social sciences, there's hierarchy in programming and coding, you can't escape it and the moment you realize that is the moment you could say to yourself well we better design it well otherwise it'll design itself and that's why um, part of what we do with our assessment is understanding what's the formal and the informal organization because the informal organization is where those social political economic hierarchies take shape and they're often invisible to people and the reason those things happen Is because people want to do a good job. They want to do good work and they'll do whatever it takes despite the structure. You know they will create that underground economy to get shit done and part of the philosophy behind Architect is that you know we need to create environments where people can realize their potential Mm -hmm. and it's based in this belief that people want to be competent and they want to feel like they made a contribution so a lot of the behaviors we see in organizations that we would consider you know unproductive or destructive or bad behavior is really people trying to do things despite the structures that have been put in place or put in their way so that's that's what the Y stands for design it well yeah Yeah. (laughs) No,
0: it's just so fascinating. I know when I first met you, I think, you know, it just resonated with me so much. I know we just did a podcast recently, uh, Evan and myself, around building your startup like a sports team. Yeah. And both of us come from, you know, very, very thick sort of sports backgrounds and seeing, you know, working in startups the past number of years and, you know, building teams and, and business in that sense, it's it's so similar what you see and it just yeah. resonated me so much from an architect's standpoint as well and yeah. how... You know, I have a friend that's an architect, my good buddy Eric, and he, you know, even in discussions with him about that structural type of thinking mm-hmm. and design, it's so similar. And I think, you know, when you look at sports teams and how we, cur- we sort of talked about it with the coach and the, yeah. and the different sort of roles and how you kind of the, the accountability and what you're trying to breed within the team. It, it just it fits together so well, right? Because with it that, without that hierarchy or without that order in some way, I think it's changing a bit, and I'd love to dig into that yeah, a little bit sure. with you as to how, you know, even with this new modern landscape, what's happening there. But maybe dig in a bit more into the formal and informal. Yeah, for sure. Because I think that's something that's really interesting, especially with the changes, right? So you have really the kind of the top-down hierarchy you see a lot in the enterprise and, yeah. and you know, startups and Everyone kind of thinks, oh, it should just be flat, and everything would be great, for sure. right? And I, I don't think I like. There's a lot of conversation around that, I find, and in, in the startup world, for sure. And a lot of our audience is interested in, you know, they're building businesses, they're thinking about things like, what What's the best way to sort of explain that and try and navigate the formal? Yeah,
1: for sure. The really, it is about bottom up. You know, it's it's about understanding how do we how do we structure the work. So the reason I. I diagnose formal and informal is really to to provoke a discussion about this is how you think your business is operating this is how it's really operating and this is what you're leaving on the table you know this is the potential that that isn't being realized so the formal is is quite simply looking at the boxes and lines and I like to say that uh, there's really three categories of org design you know one is the do-it-yourself, so you just draw the boxes and lines and you think, you know, you have your, your paradigms about people or about you have your paradigms about your industry. Um, and it's a napkin exercise, really. You yeah. know, a couple of beers, maybe some pizza. The other, on the other extreme is you hire an expert, a you know, domain expert either in your industry or your field or one of the large consulting firms, and and what they'll do is they'll either tell you the way things used to be, Mm -hmm. or they'll benchmark you or try to benchmark you against uh, companies, other companies, and offer an alternative based on what they believe the high-performing companies to be. Now, especially in startup community where there's many disruptive companies, um, there's nothing to benchmark you against. So the third alternative, which is the approach that I take, is the facilitated approach. It's about understanding what is the work to be done, how do we structure our business around the work, how do we articulate the roles and responsibilities that get at that work, and then who do we need to fill the role. And when it comes down to filling the role, you either build it or buy it. You either build the capability internally or you go find it and you have to find it against you have to know what you're hiring for or you have to know what you're training for so the distinction between formal and formal is saying this is what you believe or want to be happening and this is what's really happening when we look at diagnosing the informal organization it's asking people I I treat staff like subject matter experts this is again part of that facilitated approach versus the expert approach I say you know what I'm not an expert in anything, except maybe architect. I'm gonna treat you as the SME because you know the work you need to do and you know what's getting in the way. So I'm a bit of a proxy in terms of saying, you know, these are the barriers. Mm -hmm. These are the adopted relationships. These are managers adopting staff or staff adopting managers to get things done. Um, This is where people are spending their time, you know, this is your sales force is spending eighty percent of their time internal facing, selling to each other, you know selling to your customer' success team or selling to your dev team, um, putting that on the table and saying the reason they're doing this is because we haven't created the environment where they can get at the, the work to be done. so part of what you'd see in an informal or in that diagnosis is, is the matrix, and a lot of times. I, with the organizations I've worked with they're at least two to four times the size that they really are and yeah. what I mean by that is there are so many informal reporting lines that your organization might as well be two to four times larger in terms of administration and, and calories spent and effort spent yeah. and work being assigned and you've got to clean all that up because what I've also found through the diagnosis of, of the formal informal is and I've interviewed many, many hundreds of, of people and, and many, many hundreds of surveys across, you know, from startups 13 people to enterprises of 13,000 and in a whole bunch of different industries. And there's at least, people are operating between 50 to 60% of their potential effectiveness. And anyone in the retail business when you talk about same store sales, and if you say to them, I can give you you know, 40 to 50% lift with same store sales, they'll be all over that. And that's the reality of organizations, is unless you design it well, you're going to incur a lot of cost and a lot of wasted effort. So that's that's what that initial diagnosis does. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, no thanks for unpacking that for everyone, I think that's, that's just so much good, good stuff there. Um, I guess the next thing to talk about would be a little bit about your assessment, the arc assessment. Yeah. I think that's obviously part of architect and I, mm-hmm. I think that you know, those three core pillars and you know, things we've discussed in the past, I think you know, explaining that to everyone and how that kind of yeah. comes in as the next piece, um, that'd be great.
1: So as I mentioned earlier, you know, hierarchy is a natural system of order. Work, The architect approach focuses on understanding the work to be done. Work is naturally hierarchical in complexity. So you look at any tasks anywhere in a business, and you could rank them on an X Y axis of what's the most to least complex. And actually, you know what? I'm going to take a step back on this. The the biggest construct in the architect approach, actually, probably the biggest construct in all of our lives is time. Mm-hmm. And any business um, is always looking to buy time, you know you're looking to buy time with your shareholders your stakeholders your customers your consumers basically they're going to give you enough time to 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 delight them whether that means you need to do a pivot or whether that means you need to introduce a new version or a new product you're essentially in the business of buying time a reason to continue to exist so this construct of time really governs everything that we do when you look at how do you structure work you have to look at it in terms of time the most complex work takes the longest time so you know if, for anyone listening if you were to take an XY axis and draw you know, complexity over time um, you could easily show that the tasks that take the least amount of time are the least complex to do doesn't mean they're less important So when you draw that arc, and that's kind of how how I'm answering the question here is, when you stack the work, it forms an arc on the XY. That's really the basis upon which you can start to look at what are the different levels of complexity in my business. So to your question earlier or your point about, you know, too much or too little hierarchy, are we too tall or too flat? Um, Too tall and too flat are the same thing. They're just as bad they're equally as bad um, really what you want to understand is what are the different orders of complexity in the work that we're doing and then from there what are the different levels that we need in our business the number of levels so that's part of the arc uh, principle the other part of the arc principle which I think you're also alluding to is what I call the individual building block is that you want to get into that as well yeah for sure so there are only three dimensions Architects think in 3D. <laughs> right? Yeah, there it is again. Yeah. There's only three dimensions that any individual needs to be effective. So, yeah, I can talk theory all day long. The reality is, you know, this is about individuals being effective. Any business, any size, any industry. For all you managers and founders out there, the only three dimensions you need to be worried about in how to make people more effective are accountability, responsibility, and control. So that's what the ARC stands for. So you take any three-dimensional block and you put an A, an R, and a C on it. And accountability needs to be singular. It needs to be to one manager. And we all know the pain and suffering that we put people through when they have dual accountability or matrix. Um, So that's on the top of the block. On the the other side is the R, is, is responsibility based on who I'm accountable to, I have a certain set of responsibilities that I need to know, that need to be clearly articulated to me, and that aren't duplicated elsewhere in the organization. And the third dimension on the other side of the block is is C, is control. Whatever I'm responsible for, I must have equivalent control. And the way to play with this is to say, you can predict the behavior and diagnose the behavior that's happening in your organization based on the interaction of those three dimensions. So if if I'm big A to you, Chad, and I'm little a to someone else, or little a, little a I like to call the dotted line,
0: yeah.
1: I'm essentially put in a, a position of conflict. Mm-hmm. There's competition for my time, there's competition for my the priorities that get set. The political. There's political, there's loyalties. Yeah. So we end up putting people, now whether we do it formally by design or whether it happens informally, the we have to diagnose yeah. that. Yeah. The underground economy, we've got to figure that out. Singular accountability, it's a monogam- monogamous relationship. As well, if you start to look at the R and the C and the interaction between the R and the C, if I'm given a big R, mm-hmm. a large level of responsibility and a small C then I'm gonna end up spending a disproportionate amount of my time seeking permission to do my work because I don't have enough authority and the C is really about the authority to make decisions and the authority to deploy resources yeah alternately what you also see in organizations are the power brokers where they have the big C and the little R Mm -hmm. right they've got a lot of control with very little responsibility so they're the ones that people go to to get that permission and, and that approval. You know, and you know, we can go very deep into this in a whole bunch of scenarios. The reality is you've got to pay attention to those three dimensions and constantly bring them into the right balance and proportion because that's going to be a reflection of the behavior. It's going to be a way to diagnose the behavior and yeah. a way to change the behavior of your staff.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think it's so bang on. I think one thing that our listeners would definitely struggle with, and I know I can even speak from experience here, is when you're in a startup environment, and you know, from say a founder or early stage perspective, you have a few, a few people, and what happens is, from my experience, is like the business units grow before the leadership or management grows, mm-hmm. and so you end up having, you know, too many too many departments uh, yeah. to, to really have someone who's who's managed them or knows them well enough. And so you really, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but really I, from my from my perspective, it's really elevating people instantly, right? Yeah. I mean, people that could join the business, people that obviously show that that they can learn the promotion of people and empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. So right away, you need to pull people up into into more leadership positions mm-hmm. right away to be able to sort of stack things up. And I think it's a really difficult thing to do for a lot of people starting out because, You know, you kinda created this thing and it's it's working, it's starting to work, and then you bring employees in and and it starts to go and and things start to happen, but you know, you have six, seven departments and you only have three, three or four sort of people that were there in the early days. And then so it becomes that like what are your thoughts on that and how do you you know, I think I know a lot of listeners for sure would be in that problem, where it's like they they need to now go through this type of assessment, oh, it's, and it's how do you so kind of self-diagnose a little bit as to who you think you should bring up? And I think control is a big one for sure, right? The the budget, the idea that I'm going to yeah. put this on your shoulders, and you know, Matt, you're going to now
1: right. make these decisions for yourself. Yeah, I think, especially in startups, we we get in the way of ourselves, um, you know, the royal we. And yeah. Everyone who's listening, you know, look yourself in the mirror. And be honest you know you're getting in the way of your growth and there's a couple reasons for that one is you either don't have the capability to do the next role that you need to be in and we see founders who aren't successful as CEOs so you know let's be honest and do we want our company to grow or do we want to limit that growth as well there's people as we stack the business as we as a business grows, it inherits more complexity, therefore it needs more levels of work, therefore it needs people of greater and greater capability to assume those roles. And you don't want ever you don't ever want to promote on tenure, you don't ever want to promote on on legacy. You know, it's it's just because your two or three co-founders we're here at the beginning. Doesn't mean they should be the ones, you know, at the top of the organization, um, or just because someone's been here the longest doesn't mean they should get continually promoted. Because what we tend to do is we we tend to promote people beyond their level of capability, and then they can't be successful. So once you understand the levels of work in your business, and from there can articulate what the roles require. In terms of responsibility and authority, it's very easy to, de- to determine the competencies and the capabilities you need. They map over, you know, exactly and they basically fall off the page. Mm-hmm. Um, that's your basis to assess. Do we build it or do we buy it? You know, do, we, do I grow into that role? Do I step aside? Do I have to go to the market? Can I cultivate it internally? Um, and what this methodology does or the architect approach allows us to do is to have that conversation in a very objective way because it's tough to have that conversation and not bring in personal biases what makes this really effective in terms of change management or stakeholder engagement is everything we do from discovery to design to development those are the sort of three phases we never talk about people, right? We always talk about what is the work, how does the work stack, how do we organize the work, and you know, what are the capabilities we need to put against the work. Then you could really start to reflect on what do I need to do to get better, what do I need to let go of, what control do I need to give. And part of control and authority and the whole, the whole part of the hierarchy bashing that goes on. Is people see hierarchy as a power structure
0: mm-hmm.
1: when it absolutely is not. A hierarchy is a way to organize complexity, and hierarchy is a way to give authority. Part of a manager's responsibility is to give people authority. Part of the reason you're at that level or you have people reporting to you is because you've been endowed by your manager to give people authority to make decisions. Yeah, that's a really good The point. CEO or the founder has yeah. been endowed by the board to give their first, first line reports authority. And so we, th- yeah. we have to think of we have to think of organizations and hierarchies as a way to distribute work and authority to do the work. As a way to distribute capability. It's, it's a way to as any architect would tell you it's a way to hold people together right different floors different levels different color paints on the wall there's different work happening in, in different rooms it's a way to distribute authority it's a way to distribute work it's a way to get things done
0: and it's really the only way, I think. Because you know? <laughs> the challenge I see a lot too, I think there's a big big generational thing. And I know for myself, I kind of sit right in the middle of it and I work with a lot of enterprise and I see, and it's, it's, it's no way by design, it's just kind of there's traditional and there's kind of a bit more modern thinking. And I know I read a, a really awesome article the other day, I think it was in Harvard Business Review or something, but it was talking about leadership versus management. And it was talking about exactly as you're saying, the reality that a good leader is someone that is... Providing that empowerment to their team, like their whole focus is, how do I put enough weight on you with responsibility, (laughs) and and make you be that hundred percent? Like like you said in in all your work and and all your studying, forty percent is still there for pretty much everyone. So how much more weight on that you know squat rack? I'm glad I'm glad you you use
1: that that that, terminology that term because uh, you've you've seen me say this before, in ancient architecture the way to strengthen an arch was to add weight. So imagine any of the great structures of our time, archways were built to to hold weight, to support weight, and it's when they aren't, when they begin to deteriorate. So the exact same principle applies to people, is that we need to load them with the appropriate weight of responsibility. If we're not, we're not realizing their true contribution Uh, Because they're intellectually or emotionally deteriorating. So figuring out what those levels of responsibility are and placing them on the right people is going to push them to be fully productive. My second tagline that I love to use is engagement is proportional to responsibility. There's a lot of talk of engagement these days in, in every organization. And it's really simple. If you want someone to be engaged, give them more responsibility. It's as easy as that. Yeah. Because if they, if they can handle a big R and we're giving them a little R, they're going to fill the space Just with unproductive right? behavior yeah. they're going to be your party planner they're going to be at every meeting they're going to be making work right and I, I've had the privilege of knowing um, any, if there's any parents out there listening of young children, I know I had the privilege of attending a workshop by Allison Schaefer, so she's a renowned child psychologist and and we've done a bit of work together outside of, outside of that context as well and our philosophies are very aligned. One of the things she says is that um, the behavior is never the problem, the behavior is a solution to the problem. So if we look at our misbehaving children and we take a step back, really objective you and say that behavior that we're seeing is their solution to a problem the exact same thing applies to adults you know any all the judgments we make about people because of their misbehavior more often than not has to do with that's what they believe is going to get them to the solution Mm -hmm. right so i think we have to give people a little bit more credit and a little less judgment and as leaders as founders we have to say we are causing this behavior and this goes back to look at yourself in the mirror we are causing this behavior because people are always products of their environment this is the environment we've created um, so ultimately as managers of these people we are responsible for their behavior so how do we affect their behavior well first go back to the building block yeah diagnose it understand is it a, issue of accountability, is it level of responsibility is it degree of control Yeah, and it's full clarity of that too because
0: yeah, I think you're that right. it changes a lot and fast and you kind of need to be able to pivot and move quickly and, and kind of have that framework that's good to point. sit down and say hey you know, you've really you like someone needs to be promoted, and this is you know you need to think fast and you need to make very, well, very good yeah. decisions on it to be able to have that you know those three pieces, and then okay, this is what it now looks like, so I can properly totally. load that because until it's documented, I think it's a guessing game right. for a lot of people, and they become very you know, everyone is ambitious any any good person you know a lot of the the great people i've been able to work with in, in not only this business with post beyond but just in general my startup life has been i've been working with amazing people mm-hmm. and they're always eager for more they're really aggressive learners they're super with it and, and big readers and knowledge junkies and all that and you have to be able to read that and understand this person needs to get we got to step them up because again they're not getting enough weight here, and then the, the disengagement, right? And yeah. even in our business, we talk about a lot about employee engagement, and it's about it's his that it's it's getting people to stand taller and, and be better. And how do you position that to that's, that's properly?
1: Right. I'm glad you mentioned that because some of what people may perceive as structure or architecture or or those sort of analogies are static, and it's not static. I'd re, I, I like to think of it as modular. In fact, this approach is is very dynamic. Once the work changes, once there's a recognition that we're growing, we've taken on a big customer, we're going into a new market, we're adding a new product line, anything that changes the work has a potential impact on the structure. So we have to think about how are we absorbing this work, either this new level of complexity or this new way of, of getting at the work and how do we design around that and then you just go back to the same principles first it's the discovery then it's the design and then you adjust and and if that means you need to add more capacity in, in, in one function or you need to add another level of capability what what tends to happen uh, especially well, I, it's not fair equally in startups as in large enterprises when we take on more work we think we need to add another layer or another level and that's just not true because there's only it's a real simple question as we grow Mm -hmm. does the work become more complex or is there just more of it yeah it's a pivotal question because you can be taking on new and different work Mm -hmm. that is the same level of complexity of what you're doing today in that case Go wider, add capacity, add positions, add roles don't add layers if you choose to go global, if you choose to add a very sophisticated mm-hmm. vertical yeah you may be incurring more complexity in that case, you think you need to start thinking about leveling up yeah, I had a really good question
0: just came to mind for you in terms of ratio and I know this comes for all a lot of the managers the guys out there in the startup world that are thinking about, okay, like, how many people should I be managing, right? Like, within a team, because oh, right, obviously right, it breaks right. like a span control control, like, stuff. yeah, so if you're one person, right. and as a manager, like, how, like, is the number seven people, is the number okay. eight people, like, yeah, in, yeah. in a typical, I know it could be different in a startup, it's definitely different in an enterprise, but what do you kind of see, maybe it isn't, is it is it similar, is that kind of a ratio you typically no. see? No,
1: I, oh. I, I, I run from formulas, you know, formulas are they're hurtful, unintentionally, and there's a lot of—I I wouldn't even call it research. There's a lot of posturing around what's the right span of control ratio. Span of control is an interesting way of calculating, mm-hmm. you know, what averages are or, or what one group or function has more than than the other. There, it is absolutely not a tool for design. When we look at reporting relationships and the number of people that any individual manager can handle in terms of reporting, it all has to do with the nature of the work. So let's think of it this way, <clears throat> if, if, you ha- if the nature of the work for one function is very diverse, meaning you have many different roles. All at the same level, doing very different things, then the spans are naturally going to be smaller, mm-hmm. because okay. that manager is going to be is going to be required is going to be much more engaged in many different portfolios of work than a manager who may have 10, 12, 20 direct reports whose work is fundamentally the same. So if we think about it as a production environment, uh, you know, my manufacturing clients, this one's really easy, it's obvious, in that you can have a plant manager or, a, or a, a floor manager have 40 direct reports because the nature of the work for those 40 people is exactly the same. So the interaction that they require with their manager is far less, okay. much broader. Yeah. So that's a, that's a you know, really easy way of looking at it. You know, if you have a product team, generally product teams, there's much more diversity in the roles that, that come together versus perhaps on a dev team where you may have many similar roles, right, who are doing a lot, pushing a lot of, uh, doing a lot of production, so to speak. Yeah. So there's no magic formula, there's no magic ratio. What you need to do is is have a good understanding of the uh, the nature of the work, how different it is or how similar it is, and just have an honest conversation and say, what do we think this manager or this individual is capable of handling? Correct. Got it. So, I got to ask this
0: one. What, what mistakes do you see, like typically? Like, they got it, do they tend to be similar or they bit all over the place? Like, what are the main mistakes that you walk in and it's like, okay, that's kind of like by the book mistakes you see? It, it does, does it come out that way in your
1: yeah. experience? Yeah, there's probably a few. I'd say, I, I think one of the most obvious ones is we, we judge people. Yeah. We immediately go to, they're not competent, they're not capable. Um, either of taking on the next role or they're not competent or capable in their current role. And once you accept the philosophy that we cause that behavior, that we create the environment, it kind of makes you more objective. So that's one mistake I see is, you know, they may or may not be competent and capable for that role. Don't jump to that judgment first. First understand how are we causing the behavior. Mistake number one. The other mistakes that I see are um, you're either too tall or too flat, right, on the formal side. yeah. We have we've either massively overlayered or massively under layered. Um, what tends to happen with, when you're over layered is you dilute the work so much that no one has any real meaningful responsibility. So it's just a bunch of make work that tends to, you know, or people are seeking things to do. And then, you know, the underlayered or, or the too flat is you actually, you end up compressing the role so much that there's no distinction in the different authority that people have to make decisions or to deploy resources. That's another one. Uh, I'm sure there's another one. I got it. I got to, I, I thought I had one. I got those are great, for sure. <laughs> Maybe um, if I think of one, I'll say it, and then you can edit it yeah. back, back in. Um, yeah, I mean, we
0: always like to end these off. Just, little, you know, any resources you like to share, books, anything you're into right now listeners might want to check out, whether it's websites or, you know, obviously reading material. Anything come to mind that you'd uh, like to share with the audience? Yeah,
1: I do. there's a couple books that I tend to go back in time more than anything. Some of the best reading I've had on, in this area... Um, is from the 50s and 60s and in some ways it's more relevant today than it was then so the one book that I go back to quite often is by uh, Chris Argyris and you're going you're to post these right yeah and it's called integrating the individual and the organization and it's a really interesting read it, it's got a lot of practical it's got a lot of theory and it's got a whole bunch of references for, from different to different research. That's from the 60s. The other one that I'm reading right now is called uh, The Sciences of the Artificial. It's by Herbert A. Simon. It's from 1996. And part of the reason that I'm reading that is how he views complexity. Not just complexity of, of work, complexities overall in, in, in the natural sciences and in, in humanity. And... Uh, he has some really interesting views that I think are, are relevant and, and you know, kind of help, help me make the case for why you need to design your hierarchies well. Very cool.
0: No, that's awesome. I'm sure that would be some great stuff for yeah. everyone to check
1: out. Um, so where can everyone keep up with you online? So on Twitter, at Architect. It's A-R-C-H-Y-T-E-C-T. Or you can go to the website architect.org again spell it with a y and now you know why and uh that's where we can get in touch and i'm happy to talk to anyone who's listening deep dive deeper into any any of the topics and uh do anything i can for you to be successful awesome
0: well, thanks so much man Thank that's you. a wrap
1: and really appreciate you coming in and yeah. uh look forward to keeping in touch thanks for having me thanks man